chapter four at Flourish and Blots. I'm your host, Rebecca. And I'm your host, Madison. And we are going to Diagonally. Booyah. We got... Or Diagonally, if you're Harry in the movie. Yes. Diagonally. Time for our chapter summary in top eight. And we're ten minutes into recording and... Probably Perfect. you haven't heard anything we've said because it has nothing to do with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have a wide selection of people for our top eight because we're out in Diagon Alley. We're at the borough. We got stuff going on today. Yes. I mean, okay. So who do we think, like, we got some people who are clearly at the top. Like, you know, we've got ron we've got the weasley twins basically we got the weasleys all at the top hermione's in this chapter um hagrid came in clutch there he did he he saved the day (laughs) yes Um, he he got harry out of um out of nocturne alley which is a small street that is very close to um where he wanted to be and i Having just been to the parks and just seeing the layout of it, I don't know how he got lost there. It's a very small street. I mean, it's not that fucking hard. But, nope. um, you know, he's a dumb kid, so. Yeah. And um, I feel like it would make more sense to, like, get distracted walking around Borgen and Burks and looking at everything than to actually get lost. Yeah. I mean, he did get stopped by the lady with the fingernails. <laughs> That's true. You know. Which was a little difficult. You can't just be like, "Mm, bye lady. Please don't throw those fingernails at me. (laughs) She was very frustrated. I'm like, I don't blame you. If I dropped a plate full of fingernails, I'd be pretty frustrated too. Oh, yeah. Like, you gotta, what do you gotta do? I don't want to go find those again. No, because what if you get fingernails that weren't on the plate to begin with? Just wildly uncomfortable with the whole situation. <laughs> so she will not make it onto the top eight, nor any of the fingernails <laughs> she was carrying. In fact, I don't think I ever want to talk about her ever again in my whole life. Oh. <laughs> Topic <laughs> done <abandoned>. with her. <laughs> um. So I don't think I don't think the Malfoys make it in. Unfortunately, um, I don't think. Um, Gilderoy Lockhart probably is not in Harry's top eight in this situation. Much to Gilderoy Lockhart's chagrin, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think he cares. Because, no. like, Harry makes it pretty clear that he's not not a fan. Mm-hmm. And Lockhart doesn't give a shit. No, he does not care one single yeah. fuck. That, that's not relevant to him. <laughs> no. As long as it looks like Harry likes them on paper, he's happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would think somewhere in the top three, we probably have a combination of Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid. Yeah. I I would put Hagrid first in this chapter, just because mm-hmm. I think he was the most um, helpful. Um, I personally would put Hermione next. Mm-hmm. Glad to and see her. Glad she's here. Yeah. I mean, we get a reunion with her, and then she sends a nice letter of, like, don't do anything illegal, and... I hope to see you both. It's very cute and it's a fun reunion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ron's always going to be in the top three. But yeah. He can be number three this week. I think that's fair. I think that's totally yeah. fair. Um, and I think if I were Harry, I might put Arthur at number four for 
fighting Lucius Malfoy in a store for mm. being generally the only positive, like, fatherly man role model that Harry has ever had in his life. Yeah. Um, so... And then Molly up there too, but I I feel Arthur Weasley's impact went with all of the like mud blood, pure blood, muggle, blah 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 stuff that happens here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um, he definitely. I mean, who doesn't want to see their friend's dad punch their enemy's dad <laughs> in a bookstore? Right? I what I a, don't know. What a good time. Uh, yeah, like. I'm here for it. So, <laughs> um, so number five. So we have um, Fred and George, Molly, Ginny, the Owls, the Grangers. I would put I would put Fred and George for the next two spots. Mm-hmm. I think that they have the they have a good little role in this chapter, and we get to hang out with them a bit, which we don't get to do often, which is very sad to me because yeah. I love them. I know. <laughs> Um, I don't know which one to put first, though. Hmm. Let me peek into the book, see if I can find any key pieces of dialogue. Fred, who had finished his own list, peered over at Harry's. You've been told to get all Lockhart's books, too. The new defense against the Dark Arts teacher must be a fan, because of which. George says that lot won't come cheap. Lockhart's really expensive. Um. They all play Quidditch together. Um. Then they both talk about Percy, which I knew what he was up to. He's not himself. His exam results came the other day before you did 12 owls, and he hardly gloated at all. Bill got 12, too. If we're not careful, we'll have another head boy in the family. I don't think I could stand the shame. <laughs> um, and then George talks about how poor they are again. Um, then Fred and George go through the fire. I feel like they just get lumped together, which, as a twin, I'm offended by, but... It happens. The only thing here is Fred uh at the end he says, Gilroy was pleased, didn't you hear him as we were leaving? He was asking that bloke from the Daily Prophet if he'd been able to work the fight into his report and said it was all publicity. <laughs> That's the only time that one of the twins talks that the other one doesn't have a, an additional comment. <laughs> so There's a fun little trope, and I'm being sarcastic with that, of just using twins as um, the same character, but just splitting up their dialogue just to be quirky about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Fun fact, twins are two different people. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know. (laughs) And they have their own thoughts, and they do not actually share a brain or thoughts. Um, So generally, they should have their own unique dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get to see much of that in this no. because J.K. Rowling has apparently never met a single twin before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, they might be... We could just arbitrarily put one at the top above the other to... Yeah. Let's do George because... Or... Yeah, because you, you, you... Well, okay, so Fred's my favorite, so I'm always tempted to put Fred first. But um, you do have an issue with Fred later on, so... I do. We'll put George ahead for this one, which I think George was ahead of Fred on another chapter too. So George ah, is in the lead here. George is in the lead. They they'd appreciate the friendly competition. So I think so. Cool. Um, battling to be in the number one spot in Harry's top eight, which Weasley twin will prevail? <laughs> uh, let's find out. 
Because they're going to go up there in um, Prisoner of Azkaban. They may make the top spot when they give Harry the Marauder's map. So Easily. Um, okay, so Hagrid, Hermione, Ron, Arthur, George, Fred. Um, and then Molly, Ginny, Percy, and the Owls. And the Grangers. And the Grangers, yes. We don't really talk to the Grangers, though. No, I don't. I don't think they'd make it onto the top eight. I think Errol will be in my number one spot. He's mm-hmm. incredible, absolutely. Um, but I don't think he'd make Harry's. <laughs> no, he's probably a little irritated after, you know, being around Errol. God bless him. <laughs> but I think okay. So let's let's put Molly next. Okay, Molly's great. Yeah, she's been feeding Harry lots of food. Which, as somebody who likes food, I would know I would appreciate that a lot. Um considering he thought he was going to starve to death like very recently mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's probably very appreciated yeah. uh, great conditioning to get somebody to like you just bring them food every time you see them like yeah just do it um don't manipulate people but also <laughs> bring people but also food. feed them yeah if it happens to make them like you more that's not my fault um <laughs> so, I mean yeah there's nothing wrong with trying to get people to like you as long as you have good intentions about it right like don't use a love potion and you're fine yeah just use pizza it's the same thing. seriously it's ethical. which i don't know that that may be more that may be even more dangerous in some ways pizza is yeah. very delicious hagrid hermione ron arthur george fred molly one more um mm-hmm. spontaneous pick Hedwig. Woohoo! Is Hedwig in this chapter? Yeah, I think so. I think she just <laughs> she, well, she's there. <laughs> in theory. Yeah. It works for me. Cuz cool. I don't think he's going to put Ginny on there cuz that would be awkward. It, he doesn't know Ginny well enough. Although she does stand up for him at Flourish and Blots, so in the future that may lay the groundwork for some friendship. And marriage. <laughs> and <laughs> secret times in front of the lake. With only the giant squid watching. <laughs> so. Cool. That's cool. our top eight. It's Weasley heavy again, but that's A-okay with me. Because gotta love the Weasleys. Sure. Um, so... Now let's talk about something we love from the text and why in our Patronus Fuel section. Um, Beautiful introduction. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I love eating and I love food. So Harry eats the quintessential strawberry and peanut butter ice cream in this chapter, which it may sound like a lot. Like that's a lot of that's a lot going on for one ice cream flavor. It is immaculate. It is stupendous. It is it is tart and sweet, but also nutty and gooey. And they they have it at the Wizarding World. And one of my favorite memories is sitting outside of Florian Fortescue's on the steps across the street, looking down at the people in the hot Florida sun. And I'd never felt more like Harry Potter in my life than eating that ice cream sitting there. So happiest memories of that ice cream 
highly recommend you eating it in some form and not spending turf money at the Wizarding World. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, that's all I have to say. I just <laughs> ice cream. I bought ice cream at the grocery store today. Ice cream is on my mind. So I really appreciate that out of this chapter that has like literally so much going on. <laughs> the one thing you pulled from it was an ice cream that was mentioned in one sentence. That's how much this ice cream means to me. It's <laughs> it's because so, I love strawberries. Strawberries are great. They are tart and they are sweet and they are such a pleasing shape. And when you bite into them and you get into that like center part that has like the sweet white center, if you know what I mean. And then peanut butter. Peanut butter. Peanut butter's good in everything. I have peanut butter That's in true. breakfast bowls. I have it in like peanut butter bars with dark chocolate chips. I have peanut butter on fried PB&J sandwiches. And then you combine those and put them with milk and they're frozen and it's hot outside. Oh. <laughs> um, I did... I found it funny that Harry went from hiding how much money was in his vault to being like, I just have all this money burning a hole in my pocket. I better go buy some stuff. And was like, what's the point of hiding your money if you're just going to go out and start spending it? I, I realized that that was probably the first time that he's been able to do that with his friends. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, go out like, oh, we're out in public together. Let's walk around and I'll treat us to ice cream. That's true. It's very sweet, and I, I, I would imagine it's very wholesome. Yeah, being like just with Ron and Hermione, I feel like he'd probably feel more okay with spending his money because he knows that, you know, it's not going to make Ron feel super weird. Ron's just going to be happy that Harry's buying him ice cream because. So especially compared to the scene in the last book where um, we're at the zoo and um, Dudley and his friend never ever getting ice cream, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I guess we have to get Harry some cheap ice cream or whatever." <gasps> And this one, he gets to go and he gets to buy himself ice cream and he gets to buy his friends ice cream Aww. and they just have a fun time. So it's, it's a very nice contrast. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> okay, that's really sweet. <laughs> mm, so yeah, ice cream is very symbolic and wonderful. It is. It's good. Mm, and there's much more, which you you wrote down a lot more than I did. I was just, I got obsessed with the food, which... This will not be the yeah. last time that happens. I think both of us didn't go that deep into this chapter, honestly. <laughs> no. um, I think, which is probably kind of telling, that the things that we really loved about it are just the kind of like superficial random things that are thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you get too into the plot of the book, it's it's more, it's intense. And I think that it doesn't... <laughs> There's there it, there's more things to be critical about when you get into the the deeper stuff. So yes. I think it makes sense that the happier things are <laughs> we'll have, lighter. We'll have um, more to get into. Yeah. Um. So I really enjoyed the that we got happy times with the Weasleys. Yes. Because we don't always get that. Um. Throughout the series, the Weasleys are wonderful, and they're always kind of like a figure in Harry's life. Um, but a lot of times it's a figure to help him get through something that is um, not so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, life, death, peril kind of right. intense. Um, so it was really nice to just get, like, these whole, like, scenes with the whole family and everything's kind of okay. 
And that's really nice. And, like, the biggest worry is that, like, they have to buy some expensive books. Yeah. So that, it was super nice to get. And because it's just, they're good characters. And we don't get to see a lot of them just being fun. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed that. And then I also enjoyed just the reunions of also getting to see Hagrid and Hermione. And they're both just, like, <laughs> I felt I. <laughs> Whenever Hagrid's just like, why didn't you respond to my letters? <laughs> um, and, but then as soon as Harry explains it, he's like, ah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if I had known that was going on, ugh. And um, it's just like, it's so nice that he had all of these like fears and things going on in the first few chapters of like his friends weren't writing to him and he was all anxious. But then it gets turned around of just like, they had the same feelings like they were also like worried about him not writing them yeah so it's just it's it's nice for them to just all get together and it can finally be like not worrying about the dirt like trying to derail his life <laughs> um also i just love draco being a dramatic emo kid seriously it's it's strong in this chapter <laughs> It really is. Like, we get, like, just the whiny kid, like, wanting a present because he's going shopping with his dad. <laughs> um, which is just, like, I remember, like, my dad never wanted to take us anywhere, even if it was, like, someplace where, like, we obviously weren't going to want anything. Like, we would go to Home Depot or something. And my dad would just be like, I'm not going to take you because you're going to want me to buy you stuff. And I'm like, it's Home Depot. Like, what are we going to want? But we'd always be like, can we have this? <laughs> There'd always be something we're going to want. <laughs> um... So that reminds me of that just Draco going into um, hot topic Morgan for Burks death and just being just like pointing at a withered hand and being like, "Can I have this?" <laughs> Seriously, because <laughs> like, what kind of like ridiculous child sees a withered up like disembodied hand and says, "Can I have this?" The kind that would shop at hot to- hot topic, like absolutely. This is hot topic for Death Eaters and <laughs> nothing more. <laughs> Mm. Um, oh man I just I love there's a lot in this chapter that you can see the fodder for so many different fan fictions which we'll talk about more but like Draco being his like essential emo kid like dramatic Slytherin self is absolutely prime for that in this situation so um, I I enjoy I enjoy him in this chapter even though he's also a shit. Um <laughs> but you know, some sometimes you just appreciate the aesthetic. <laughs> uh I did not appreciate in enchantingly nasty Lucius Malfoy um handing off a horcrux to a small child for spite is pretty horrific. <laughs> um yeah. You know, he's willing to he knows, like, Voldemort gave him this shit, so you know that he knows. This isn't just, like, something that's gonna look bad for them to have. It could hurt them. And he's just willing to put people in danger because he got mad that they fought in a bookshelf, or in a bookshop. So... Not to mention that, like, this is something that Voldemort gave him and trusted him with and told him that, like, you need to keep this safe. Like, it's it's literally a part of Voldemort's soul. And I don't think Lucius knows exactly what it is, but it's I can't imagine that was a casual conversation that he had with Voldemort mm-hmm. when that was given to him. Like, 
It's wild to me that he even had it, that Voldemort even trusted him with it. Yeah. That's wild, wild. Like, how deep into this shit was Lucius Mm -hmm. that he was given a horcrux to protect? Um, Especially because we know he just plays for himself, so he did a really good job of showing Voldemort, oh yeah, like, I am 100% here for you. Like, I worship you. Not me, you. You are my shining star, Voldy. And we yeah. know that Drake, Lucius hopped off that train as soon as he as soon as he realized it was not going where he wanted it to. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just so it's so weird that he would just throw this into Hogwarts, basically. Ugh. Where Dumbledore is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the one person that Voldemort knows to not mess with. So it's just bizarre that he would give that to a kid yeah it's he i don't think he knew exactly what it would do but i don't know that he would have done things differently even if he did i mean he must have known that it would open the chamber of secrets though because otherwise how would dobby know to warn harry that's true that's very true that's very true. So he he must have known that it could do something that, um, yeah, yeah. So, Ugh. yeah. There's, I mean, <laughs> it's bad no matter what way you look at it. <laughs> exactly. There's no no redemption here for Lucius Malfoy. Not not looking for that. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Something else enchanting is nasty. It's just the whole idea of. Borgenberg's shop. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so we're taking things that Lucius Malfoy doesn't want to be found with. And he's one of the like most respected slash feared um, families in the whole wizarding community. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he can't get away with this in a relatively corrupt government, then like, how the hell is Borgenberg's allowed to sell it? That is a great question. Because I know some of the stuff is, like, things that, like, he could have. It just looks shady for him to have. Mm-hmm. But, like, for a store to have only shady things. Yeah. How is that allowed to operate? <laughs> it's, like, it reminds me of um, fucking, like you know like you have like confederate statues they're part of history so we shouldn't tear them down or old antique shops with like racist shit in them because that's what people had around their house and like there's this weird protection associated with these things because of tradition or history which is absurd because they're harmful and and in the case of Morgan and Burks like these things are literally poisoned sometimes or cursed and yeah, I don't know. Like they've literally killed people before. Yeah, and that's part of their charm. Like, look at this thing <laughs> that killed people. It needs. I, I stand by what I said earlier. We need a like, um, fucking haunted objects museum, a la The Conjuring, where all this shit just like stays in a room behind glass, and nobody gets to touch it. Nobody gets to look at it. It just gets put there if it can't be destroyed, and nobody nobody needs to have it because. It's bad for people. <laughs> it hurts people. Great. 
if this was all in a museum, I'd be fine with it. But, like, it's a store. <laughs> yeah, people can buy that and then do whatever the hell they want with it. That's not good. And people can just walk in and sell things, too. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine if you worked at, like, a pawn store or something, and someone just came in with a bunch of guns, and we're just like, <laughs> I can't have these found in my house, so can you buy them from me? <laughs> bunch of bloody daggers. <laughs> like, Yeah. Like, that's not how this works. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't just drop off the murder weapon here, which is basically, <laughs> it feels like Lucius is asking, like, I oh, just, because he said there's, what do you say, like, particular poisons and stuff that he has. Are these, like, muggle poisons? I don't know, but sounds sus, sounds nasty, sounds, like... It's definitely shady. Yeah. It's just... The whole idea of um, Nocturne Alley (laughs) is kind of weird. It feels like it's, like, an authorized black market, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just strange. (laughs) Because it's, I'm wondering if, like, because it's very easy to get into, apparently. (laughs) Right. You could just walk into it. So, it's obviously legal. It's, I just, I don't know if there's enough of a, like, like, dark magic, um, you know, are there times where it's okay to use dark magic? It seems like at Durmstrang, they're learning dark magic sometimes, and... You know, maybe learning to, like, understand it so that they don't fear it too much. Because sometimes fear of something makes you panic and then do something stupid with it. But Mm -hmm. um, my only thought is that maybe, like, there is some stuff that you can only do with dark magic that is useful and helpful and doesn't hurt people. Um, You know, maybe it's used in, in, like, certain kinds of protection or something. Um, But there's such a taboo around dark magic that it's... Um, you know, all all sort of sequestered into this place where not only is it like practical dark magic things, but also poisonous candles and hands of glory. Um, yeah, but I don't I don't feel like there's enough indication that dark magic can be used that way to make that conclusion wholeheartedly. I agree. So we I think just that... have to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, from just, like, 90% of, like, media that has dark magic in it, it's, uh, it's very, very, very rarely something that does not go wrong. Yes, exactly. So. It's probably not good. Yeah. Uh. Okay. I have thoughts. Yes. About, um, diagonally. Give it. So, in the book, Harry um, starts coughing whenever he steps into the fireplace because there's a bunch of ash and coal Mm -hmm. and it's hot and it makes sense. Um, So, he starts coughing and he just says, he says diagonally, but he just um, stutters a little bit, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the movie, he just straight up says diagonally. Like, no pause on it or anything. He just says the word diagonally mm-hmm. for no fucking reason. <laughs> but, like, it would have taken the exact same amount of time in the movie to just have Daniel Radcliffe cough a little bit while he was saying diagonally and send him 
the, the, just do the exact same scene. Mm-hmm. So why the hell did they make him say diagonally? Uh, there's just no reason. No, there's not. And it makes does it makes sense for him to cough because he's stepping into a little fire place, a literal fireplace. Yeah, there's a bunch of like smoke and things all around him. Ugh. I just don't get it. Mm-mm. Well, cause like, and it's in both like the book and the movie, he's told to speak very clearly. So it's not that like if he had said, um, if he had done the coughing or something, it wouldn't have been clear why he didn't get to the right spot. It would have been clear because they would have said speak very clearly, and then he would be like, "Diagonally," <laughs> like that's not clear, obviously. <laughs> but. Just saying diagonally just makes him look like a freaking idiot. <laughs> it does. And while he is kind of an idiot, it's just not necessary in this moment. And I just, I never understand it. Uh, yeah, I I have nothing to add because you have said absolutely everything that there is, like, it. There's no, there's no explanation. No, there's not. So. It's the same thing with um, having Hagrid's um, cake misspelled in the movie. Mm-hmm. It was spelled correctly in the book. They just wanted him to look like an idiot for no fucking reason. Like, haha, look, look at this mistake. Like, haha, look, he can't spell happy birthday. It's hilarious. Like, he's a fucking adult. Like, leave him alone. <laughs> it's another... <sighs> I, don't, cheap. I don't know why. It's because it's, it's not even, like, used... For humor or anything, Mm-mm. which is why a lot of scenes in the movie are, are done differently to add like some humor to it. But it's not like oh, like he's being dumb. It's funny. It's just like oh, he's just being dumb <laughs> for literally no reason. He panics in a way that is bizarre. It's so weird. I don't get it. Mm-mm. Okay, important my thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> I, these are important issues that we must draw attention to. Because if anyone can explain to me a good reason for that, I would absolutely love to hear it. Please. I probably won't believe it, but but if you if there's a really good reason, I would really love to hear it. Because <laughs> I can't think of a single, like, I can't even think of a bad reason to do it. Diagonally. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> ah! He so clearly just says the word diagonally. It's not like, like he mumbles or anything like mm. that. It's just diagonally. <laughs> he's so confident in it <laughs> Harry Potter Harry oh, Potter Harry Harry Potter mm. alright Phantom. yes so didn't gather anything specific here cause I I just had some thoughts about like when I was reading this chapter and Harry gets into Morgan and Burke and hides and Lucius Malfoy and Draco walk in and Lucius started talking, it was like, for a second I forgot I was reading the canonical books and it felt like I was reading fan fiction because, let me, I want to read what he says because I was just that struck by it. Um, let's see. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. So, 
Mr. Malfoy crossed the shop, looking lazily at the items on display, and rang a bell on the counter before turning to his son and saying, Touch nothing, Draco. Malfoy, who had reached for the glass eye, said, I thought you were going to buy me a present. I said I would buy you a racing broom, said his father, drumming his fingers on the counter. And then Malfoy starts sulking and complaining about Harry. And, like, this... This is, like, the first time we see these two together. And fan fiction writers have captured this dynamic between Draco and his father, really the entire Malfoy family, so flawlessly. And in in many ways improved upon it. Um, I just... It was so strange to me to be reading this, but feeling like I was almost feeling like the book was the fan fiction in some ways like oh yeah like i've read about these people online before (laughs) and it was kind of awesome though because in some ways it because you have so many fan fictions where you see the perspective of the malfoys like that the malfoys don't really belong to these books the same way that harry does um so that was that was just really interesting and shows the intense power of fan fiction in the potter fandom um so that scene and then i think there's another scene too um also just speaking of fan fiction in that scene Mm -hmm. um i never really saw the whole dreary thing my first few goes around with the books Mm -hmm. um i just didn't get it i thought it was just like a reach and yada yada but um after reading carry on and seeing more like dreary stuff and then reading this chapter i kind of got where they were going with it Mm -hmm. because drago is definitely talking a lot about um harry he's a little obsessed (laughs) and then there's also the part whenever um harry first sees them where he's just like he's the last person i wanted to see me when i'm covered in dirt and my glasses broken i'm just like (laughs) I was just okay. thinking that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like and and also after having like read a lot more like enemies to lovers type of like storylines, I, I I'm starting to see it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I know that like it's still it's not intentionally there because J.K. Rowling would rather like light die herself right a canonical gay person. Yeah. But like I don't know. I see it. Yeah. I see it a little bit. It's I think that this chapter, like, in and of itself, is kind of the foundation of many fan fiction tropes and themes. Because yeah. um, I, I feel like a lot of the fan fiction that I have read is kind of about that, like, the Malfoy-Weasley juxtaposition. Like, mm-hmm. this, you know, old money, wealthy family full of extremely prejudiced people versus poor um but very kind-hearted uh still prejudiced but much more well-meaning and not cruel (laughs) um (laughs) but that you know then the like so many fan fictions will explore the the ways the weasley and the malfoy family are different and similar the ways that um the weasleys have uh, you know committed wrongs and the ways the Malfoys have done things that were right sometimes, obviously, like, in the in the form of, like, fictional universes. Um, and it's, like, between this scene with Borgen and Burks 
and um then the the scene where you're actually in flourish and plots you get like this is one of the purest weasley versus malfoy situations where it's not accompanied with all of this other stuff where this is just the two families against each other without a war even totally brewing so it's uh this feels like a very important chapter for the fandom imagination yeah definitely i mean it's just this whole the whole like first two books i think you get the most amount of like outside information because after that it just kind of turns into like war essentially yeah um but that's like one of my favorite things about these first few books is that you get um just a better look into the wizarding world um as it's supposed to be like without a you know serial killer running around trying to take over the whole (laughs) fucking (laughs) wizarding world totally (laughs) um so yeah you, you get lots of like fun things that the fandom gotta take and turn into even more fun things because fans are more creative Mm -hmm. um and we were talking earlier about the fact that like this series has probably like the biggest um i don't know like archive or library of fan-made content yeah like i can't think other than like maybe star wars but even then like star wars has it goes a lot more towards like canon stuff right Harry Potter is one of the few communities where fans feel completely comfortable just leaving canon. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like, I feel like over half of Harry Potter fanfics are all, like, AU. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like, there's always, like, a want to change something and see what would happen. Mm -hmm. Versus, like, other things where it's just, like, let's talk about things that happen off screen or off things. Um, with Harry Potter, it's like, let's just change everything and see what happens. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, Harry's gonna die, and then Snape is gonna take over. Like, some, yeah. something... It's... It's like, you know, the Harry Potter world was, like, Minecraft, and <laughs> all of the fans are now in Minecraft making things that are sometimes more incredible than the game itself with the foundation. Yeah. And I've been playing a lot of Minecraft lately. So. <laughs> um, but point still stands. It's it's a it's a great framework that lets people be creative because we understand the archetypes as they're presented in the books. So it's really easy to use them to um, as as archetypes to move around and play with and make you ask questions about different kinds of people. And yeah, I just finished reading a 350,000 word fan fiction and I just like when you really think about that like 350,000 words is a lot of words that's like the length of a Harry Potter book (laughs) that somebody went in and took the time to write it and planned it for two years beforehand wrote it like it it just I don't know. I it just feels really tied in to this uh, because this is this place where you're immersed in the Potter world finally in the books and I think that in some ways the way that the marauders really made people's imaginations run wild, I think that the world of the Malfoys as terrible as it can be, um it it did the same thing in a just in a different way. 
I d- yeah, I just love the whole realm of fan fiction within Harry Potter, and I just it's a good chapter to talk about it just because there's so much that you get to see going on, mm-hmm. and there's just so many like little details that get spun into whole other storylines when you leave canon. Yeah. It's just a good time. It is. It is. <laughs> it it makes it's like it reading this makes me want to read fan fiction like another one. <laughs> so which it, it's really interesting because uh, in some ways it speaks to the power of the book like wow this like feels really authentic and amazing but then it speaks to the greater power of the fandom where it's like ah oh, this makes me want to read something like this but better <laughs> so <laughs> hmm. so that's not a specific fan creation just kind of a comment on the the world and the realm of fan creations surrounding this vibe of the potter universe yeah so um there are a few things here it's very small but when they're talking about um they fred says something to the effect of like oh whoever the new defense against the dark arts teacher is assigned us all gilderoy lotheart books bet it's a witch (laughs) and it just it's it's very small but i just found it kind of annoying because like should say they and not it when you don't know a person's gender or pronouns or whatever um but it's a very small thing overall and the assumption that like oh it must just be some like celebrity obsessed witch who is in love with gilderoy lockhart but you know he's a 14 year old boy and shouldn't I feel like he's also kind of trying to like, cause go off the same thing of making fun of his mom mm-hmm. for, um, reading the Gilderoy Lockhart book about yes. like uh, the household pests and things like that. <laughs> um, so it felt a little bit like a dig at her. <laughs> she like glared at him. With, oh yeah, they kind of let him know to so, fuck off. <laughs> I'm, I'm grasping a little bit with that one more just because. I don't know why it just it stuck with me and maybe maybe there's that's a, fair. A, I mean, I went on a whole tangent whenever um, we called uh, Petunia Shrill. <laughs> that's very true. I had like research. <laughs> Sometimes something just it it, it touches it a just nerve. Sticks, yeah, and that's totally fair. Um, um, I think there's a lot of things that are in this series that get thrown in without um, without being as sensitive as something that would get published today yeah for sure oh for sure and yeah this one at least i think it can be adequately explained as a character choice moment situation so yeah um, if that we also have this moment <laughs> where arthur weasley and lucius malfoy get into a brawl in the middle of a bookstore which on the one hand is like Arthur you don't like cuz what does Molly say she says like oh no 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 like don't don't go messing with Lucius Malfoy Arthur and Arthur's like what you think I can't you think I can't handle Lucius Malfoy <laughs> and it's like no 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 honey no 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 and then they get into a fight and 
I'm like, this is so toxic masculinity, like punching each other. But also, you know, Lucius Malfoy is not a nice person. Yeah. So my um, response to that was that I think that sometimes you just have to punch Nazis. Yep. So, um, and if they're, you know, mocking your entire family name, mm-hmm. then like, especially like to your children and making fun of your children to their faces. Yeah. I'd also probably punch them. Like, not even probably. I would love to punch them in the face. <laughs> so, you know, it's like there's time and place to <laughs> get mad about toxic masculinity and maybe this isn't the time or place. I don't know. Arthur Weasley is generally pretty cool-headed. So, um, and and so sometimes it's just nice to see before we started recording today, I was watching a very long TikTok series of videos of um, somebody who did not want to wear a mask getting escorted out of a store by the police. And I like, you know, I don't really like how policing works in general in this country, but it was also really good to see someone being rude and dangerous get in trouble for it. <laughs> so it's the same. It's a similar feeling. Yeah, it's kind of like... um. All the people that were storming the Capitol and stuff all getting arrested. Yes. Oh, yes. Even if there was like a little toxic masculinity thing going on in Mr. Weasley's mind, you know, sometimes it feels good to watch somebody use that for something that's morally morally neutral to good. Yeah. I mean, if you're using your like toxic masculinity urges to punch nazis then like good for you yeah it feels like where those urges should go yeah it's fair Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um yeah i think we've just solved we've solved toxic masculinity (laughs) (laughs) just focus it all on punching nazis and the world would be a better place i i we did it <laughs> Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes. Um this is the beginning of our conversation about him which will last this book but um Gilderoy Lockhart I have like he does really horrible things but he's really good at what he does. Yes. I I don't he's a great frog. Yeah. Like he he has mastered oblivion to the point that like he's published dozens of books. Nobody has brought it to anybody's attention that maybe he is not who he says he is, maybe he hasn't done these things. Like the the, the general public is like, "Oh yeah, Gilderoy Lockhart, that like, you know, the person who goes and hunts werewolves and shit." Like that's kind of cool. And like I just, what he's doing is wrong, and what he's doing is horrible, and he's mean, and he is selfish and manipulative, <laughs> but I am deeply impressed with him, and I'm very excited to see him descend and lose his status, and yeah, it's going to be a fun book. I agree. Um, I just, I don't understand the process of hiring <laughs> professors <laughs> at Hogwarts. Lockhart obviously has no teaching experience. Mm-hmm. He has no, um, as far as I know, no like teaching education. Mm-hmm. 
and yet he is brought into the school that is supposed to be like the best wizarding school in like England. Yep. So and it just gets a gets a job. Yep. He just walks right in and gets it. I don't get it. it like it I understand that he has like, you know, all these books written and stuff, but like the teachers obviously see right through it. Like Dumbledore sees right through it, McGonagall sees right through it. Who hired him? Uh, Dumbledore. I think the only, like, maybe, maybe it's starting to get hard to, like, find somebody to do the job. Like, so many people think the job is jinxed, but I don't know. Like, I feel like there's probably better choices than Gilderoy Lockhart. I mean, yeah. Just, like, literally get Percy to teach it or something. Seriously. Get Charlie in here. Yeah. Fuck. Or, like, a, somebody who was in the order before. Yeah. I mean, just bring Lupin in a little bit early. <laughs> right? Ugh. I just, like, anyone who, like, actually... I mean, I guess Lockhart did graduate from Hogwarts. I believe he's a Ravenclaw, right? Yes. I think that gets mentioned. So he did go to Hogwarts. So he at least had some education. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, it's just so strange that like teachers just get handed these jobs with no qualifications. Yeah, it it's very strange, and I don't know. The only other thing I could think of was if like having a celebrity teacher is something that is mm, in some places more common than you know, American public schools because. Those don't exist here, but maybe they do in other places. Like, you hire a celebrity to come on for a year to teach a subject. The knowledge. I think that happens at, like, Harvard. (laughs) Well, if it's supposed to be the best school in... Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like, ultimately, (laughs) it feels like Dumbledore being a toot and... But providing some great humor so it's just so strange oh, Dumbledore. I, th- I mean yeah I, I don't think it was meant to be looked into too deeply I think it was just kind of this will be a fun character to have in here mm-hmm. and he is a fun character yeah I just don't you just can't look too deeply into a storyline or <laughs> find some issues oh yes I don't know. Maybe there's something I forgot. Maybe there's a good reason later on. I'll have to. I'll have to see because it is a Coral, It makes sense because he was a teacher before, so he's just teaching a different subject. But this, right? Like Slughorn makes sense. Mm-hmm. It feels out of the blue. Like all of a sudden, wait, what do you have yeah. to do with anything? Yeah, he's fun though. He is. I'm excited. He's, he's very fun. He's. Uh, He's a terror, and it's a delight to watch him, like, causing, wreaking havoc everywhere he goes at Hogwarts, so. Oh. I love a good chaotic character. Yes. Moving on a little bit from Lockhart, just because I'm going to try to reserve some judgment from Lockhart. Fair. Just because, I don't know, maybe there's something I'm forgetting. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll judge him as he comes, because we, we only get one book with him, really, so. Yeah, it's true. Um, something we do get in this chapter a lot more, um, in the little snippets we already get, is that we get a lot of references to the Weasley's finances. Mm-hmm. Um, so previously the only 
references we had was just like short little conversations with Harry and Ron. Um, and I always kind of appreciated how those conversations were handled. Um, most recently there was this scene, um, um, where Ron was showing Harry his house and his room and Harry's just like, this is the best house I've ever seen. And that was like a very sweet moment of, um, kind of showing Ron that Harry doesn't like care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, I mean, Harry used to live under a staircase, <laughs> so like, he's not gonna, you know, <laughs> <laughs> crap on Ron for having a small room. No. So, I always liked how those conversations were handled, and even like at the start of this um, chapter, then whenever, um, I believe it's George or something, Fred and George, I think, both mention that um, Lockhart's books are going to be expensive, it's going to be hard, and they just feel comfortable having that conversation with the guest over, which just shows that like, they're not really embarrassed about their finances. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all really lovely depictions of, you know, having a family that's not necessarily able to afford, like, fun things or things outside of what's necessary. Um, but then we have Lucius and Draco showing up, and we just get all of this really nasty stuff about how, um... <laughs> about how their family sucks because they're poor yeah. wild um and obviously lucius and draco are not meant to be liked by the reader right. um they're intentionally nasty and you're not supposed to you know be on their side mm-hmm. um it just it sucks to see ron coming from this place of obviously having like his worst fears that during those moments is that Harry is going to say that um, that Ron's family isn't as good as him because they don't have money. And it's really, really lovely to see Harry just be like, it's okay, like, this is incredible, even though it's not, like, the richest house in the world, it's the best house I've ever seen. Um, to go from that to having Ron's fear be just very publicly confirmed in the middle of a shop in front of a whole bunch of people yeah i'm just being told like you suck your family sucks um the stuff that your parents are buying for your sister is lousy and just shaming his entire family and everything that they have publicly is just it's very upsetting not only just from like you know reading from ron's point of view but also just for, like, kids who are reading this book. Yeah. It's not a particularly helpful thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it's, I mean, it's kind of fun to see um, Arthur kind of come in and just punch Lucius in the <laughs> face. Um, and that's why I said, that's another reason that I, I can't really blame Mr. Weasley for that. Is because I think that it was kind of warranted yeah. in the situation <laughs> um but like reading this as a kid who didn't have as much money as the other kids at school mm-hmm. it's not a fun thing to hear no. and it's not um something that you want to be reminded of when you're reading a fantasy novel yeah <laughs> you don't want to think about the fact that you know families who don't have as much money are laughed about mm-hmm. by everyone else yeah 
the there are because uh, it's it's just it's very confusing and it makes you like having this confrontation be so public the way it is i feel like it starts to make you think those things in your head that come from insecurities and uh that oh, what what are the words like like the attacks that lucius and draco make may affect the reader personally as if they are the exactly. ones being ridiculed yeah exactly it's just um it's hard to draw a line between like just knowing that the character is supposed to be seen as you know a dick right <laughs> so um to just being uncomfortable with the words that are being said because they they have impact on the reader mm-hmm. so it, it's tricky yeah definitely it makes it feel like it steps beyond the page and goes whoa like are you attacking me personally and i think it, it doesn't have the moment of like um like with the concern that that Ron had with these times with Harry, um, it gets kind of resolved with Harry saying like, "No, it's great, everything's good," mm-hmm. um, and you don't get that with this scene. You get a fight between Arthur and Lucius, which is fun, <laughs> but it doesn't resolve anything. There's still this hatred. There's still this like, um, just mean energy coming from the Malfoys. Yeah, it's it's almost like. Them fighting like that puts them as if they're on even ground in some ways. Like, yeah, uh, like it's it's possible to get so many messages. Like, well, look, like Arthur attacked Lucius, so what he's doing is just as bad. He physically attacked somebody, and it there's not a like meaningful resolution. You know, there's no there's no place where anybody gets told like no the Malfoys are really cruel and they are really selfish and they like to hurt people and there's nothing wrong with us the way we are so we're going to continue mm-hmm. living as we are we're doing fine from our perspectives anyway um, but I don't know I, I still feel like I don't know how I would fix it this is a great example of me thinking something should be different and not having a meaningful solution for what it should be fixed to <laughs> but um I, I don't i don't like it i don't like it either i think it's something that maybe i i think it'll get brought up a lot throughout any time that lucius and draco kind of pop in yeah it gets brought up and especially in the later books when we kind of start to like ear towards getting a little bit of redemption with draco mm-hmm. um It'll come up a bit, and just, like the privileges and the differences that they have will hopefully get looked into a little bit more, if not in the books, then at least by us. Yeah. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how we perceive Harry's role in this, if if it seems like he's doing stuff that helps, or if there's a weird, like, uh, if he starts to get a weird perception of his own class compared to the Weasleys or something. Yeah. Um, I don't think he does. That doesn't. It doesn't feel like that. But I haven't finished these books in a long time, so we'll have to see. Speaking of Malfoys, um, here in Chocolate, um, I think we just have a lot to say about Draco. So yeah. let's get into it. Um, yeah. So Draco is somebody that I never 
originally thought too much about in these chapters and these books really in like the first few books um just being younger Draco wasn't as much of a he didn't stand out as much to mm-hmm. me. I know that's different for some people, but <laughs> right. Um, he, I just originally believed the books at face value, kind of. Um, so whenever I see or saw like a character of being like a bully, then I was like, "Well, he's a bully," because the author said so. Mm-hmm. Um, but now. <sighs> It's very different just because it's so clear that he's being ridiculously brainwashed. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's being raised by a Death Eater and not just like a Death Eater, but like one of the like higher ranked, um, like most trusted Death Eaters. Um, And even though um, publicly... Lucius kind of separated himself a bit. Um, he still has a lot of the stuff at home. He still has a Horcrux in his mm-hmm. house, and like we've seen what it's like to be around a Horcrux. Um, not yet, obviously, <laughs> right? But um, later on in the books, we see what it's like to have a Horcrux um near you, and this has just been in their house for Draco's entire childhood. Um. And then we also have a bunch of other stuff that's not necessarily named that's just been sitting around at the Malfoy's house. And it's it shows the the kind of environment that Draco's in. That he may be um, in a richer house. He may have um, more things. He may have a, a, a nicer living area. But he's surrounded by all of this like dark magic. Mm-hmm. And these, like, really negative, kind of scary things. I mean, what kind of 12-year-old looks at a shriveled-up hand and says, like, will you buy me that? (laughs) Like, for him to think that's cool and something he wants. I mean, like, yeah, 12-year-old boys are weird. But, like... But but not cruel and evil without influence. Yeah, especially, like, in that shop. He must have known that, like, that's not just a, a hand. Like, that's something fucked up. And, um... He's just he he never got a chance, you no. know, because he's just raised by these people and surrounded by. I mean, his parents' friends are all Death Eaters too, mm-hmm. so like it's something that he never um, got to see any other options. This was the way life is. This is the way the world is. Um, so it's not like. Like, Harry gets handed something way different when he goes to Hogwarts. He's handed um, freedom. He's handed the idea that he's magical and all this. And for Draco, the magic stuff's a given. um, But there's all this pressure that he has to be the best at Mm -hmm. it because his family is the best. And then there's also the fact that, like, a lot of the magic that he sees is not necessarily used for good things. Mm -hmm. So he's starting out from a very different place in life. Yeah. So to not give him a chance at redemption is really sad. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of something that I think I mentioned in the 
last book a little bit, but um, J.K. Rowling would, um, I mean, she's always been on Snape's side. A bit. Yeah. Like, she's made it clear that she thinks that Snape was a good guy all along. Um, but whenever fans would say that, like, they liked Draco, she would be like, well, that's, like, stupid. Like, he's toxic and nobody should like Draco. You're not supposed to like him. You just like him because Tom Felton's and- handsome. Yeah, exactly. And she would, like, block fans on Twitter and stuff because of this. <laughs> uh... While saying that Snape was redeemable. It's... And Snape was an adult. It's just, like... Because you can't... None of this takes away from the fact that Draco made choices that hurt people. And that he participated in a system that, like... Uh, the that targeted one specific group of people to hurt them, to marginalize them, to disempower them. Like he did participate in that, but yes. it's like I really I feel very strongly that like um he is a he is a child here. He's twelve years old, and yeah. it's it is absolutely not impossible to grow up in a household where you have violent dangerous prejudiced people and grow up to be different than them um and that does happen sometimes that happens in real life but um it just because that isn't draco's path like that that doesn't mean that there's something inherently evil about him that is not evil about those other people this is about how he has to survive and how he has to like when you are surrounded by so much cruelty and prejudice and pain that you have to turn yourself off to the pain of other people and inflict suffering on them that's not because you're evil that's because that's a trauma response that is literally a trauma response and like and this, this, you know, this take may not be for everybody, especially people who have, like, if you have suffered from any kind of prejudice, like, that is absolutely okay to never want to, like, want Draco to have a redemption arc. I just sometimes feel like, because this is a mental health connected issue, and this isn't something that just applies to, like, um this is something that anybody can do at any point in their life. You can have a trauma response that makes you hurt somebody else and you can hurt somebody else in a systematic way um, because of how you had to learn how to survive and to not acknowledge that that is what is happening with Draco. And it's, it's something that I did. Like that's how I used to look at Draco. I was like, fuck him. He's terrible. He's awful. Um, He is just evil. He just has evil inside him that he needs to purge. Yeah. And I think that's, like, also why I put this in this section instead of in the, like, um, social justice mm-hmm. section, is that a lot of the stuff around Draco is, um, it is mental health related because he's experiencing a lot of trauma. He's being brainwashed and stuff. Like, he's literally having his brain, um, because he's, he's 12. He's yeah. a kid. And even before he's 12, like, his whole life has been the same way. He's been raised and he's been um um brought up to think this Mm -hmm. way um and the way that you are brought up plays a just impossibly huge 
role in who you are and how you behave and how you react to things. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see Lucius coming up after Draco's having a conversation and saying the exact same things as Draco. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very clear where he gets it from. It's very clear that he's not having these thoughts on his own. Whereas if you look at Snape, um, he was friends with Lily. Like, he wasn't, like, this, you know, like, supremacist, purist, bullshit Nazi up until um, he didn't get what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And then he decided that he would just be on board with a serial killer because, wham, poor me. (laughs) Um, So... If Snape supposedly deserves a chance at redemption, then why shouldn't Draco, who is a, a child who's been just brainwashed and groomed into this lifestyle, it's becoming a child soldier too? Like yeah. th- that's that's what a child Death Eater becomes. Like again, it doesn't take away from the fact that his actions hurt people, almost killed people, but that he took those actions because of the abuse of people above him for his entire life and it it just it's not even about like he shouldn't be punished right like you know it's a when you do something wrong it's important to learn that there are consequences and hold yourself accountable but it's the it's the difference between saying somebody is point blank evil and like acknowledging that horrible circumstances make people do horrible things to other people yeah and like if uh, when you look at like what he was made to do, like especially later on in the book, oh my god, like where he's like literally given like a job to kill Dumbledore, mm-hmm. like he's terrified for his life. Yes, like he feels like he's going to be killed by Voldemort. He has the same fears that year as Harry does. Yeah, <laughs> and they're in some ways much more present than they are for Harry that year. Yeah, because Draco has Voldemort just hanging out in his fucking, like, dining mm-hmm. room. Like, that's wild. And that's not because of him. That's because of his father. That's because of yeah. his father. His father invited that <laughs> monster into his house, and Draco is having to pay the consequences as a child and is, like, is doing horrible things out on his own because literally that's sitting in his living room and... It's it's just it's really heartbreaking when like when you can see why somebody is doing horrible things and that feeling that they have that they'll never be able to get out of that that they have to do it. Uh it's just another situation where if there was some sort of like social services mm-hmm. or something Draco doesn't just, need to like, be in that environment. Yeah. Like you can't just groom children to be Nazis mm-hmm. in the fucking 90s you know it's it's like we were saying with how there are these comparisons between dudley and draco where like yes Mm -hmm. the dursleys were starving harry and they were like treating him treating him horrifically in these ways like they were hurting dudley and so in that parallel way the malfoys are hurting draco by like putting him through this situation is a different but still extremely harmful like type of abuse yeah well because his father is more concerned about his family being respected than his family being safe which is just not a way to raise a child 
it's really not. It's horror-rated. Just live at all, but <laughs> there's a child involved. It's a little more. <laughs> the stakes get higher. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, and I think what makes it most frustrating is what you were sort of talking about in the beginning, where there is even this message seemed to be put out by the author that this person who is a child does not have you know that everything that they did is irredeemable and that they don't deserve something better than what they get that they don't get a chance to realize they were wrong but instead this person who only acted out of selfishness they should get a chance to have their name turned around and yeah that's um that more than anything is what doesn't sit right because I, I stand by like i think draco should be held accountable for everything that he does but yeah but the idea that that he shouldn't get the chance to actually it's like it takes away that chance of accountability you know like oh there's no way you can actually you're just canceled forever sorry draco you don't get a chance to even try and fix anything that but snape does yeah that makes sense yeah we've been pretty reflective but um can get into the pensive here unless we have more uh draco woes (laughs) i'm gonna have probably a lot of draco woes now that i'm just slowly getting onto draco's it's a you know we gotta process this (laughs) it's interesting i never i never thought that i would be on draco's side i never thought that i would understand dreary there's just a lot of changes <laughs> in the way that i read this series now and it's it's it's, it's hard because you hear people like you hear the people who say like no draco is awful draco is terrible and anyone who thinks he deserves redemption is wrong and I'm like well does this make me a mad person like am i bad for thinking this but it's also hard because like i used to think i know <laughs> i know <laughs> and i'm just like i don't know what to do anymore <laughs> it's there's this whole, there's this association for a lot of people when queerness is so, um, uh, you know, it's so taboo and it's cast as evil and wrong when you're in the middle of the Bible Belt and stuff mm-hmm. that you start to, it's, you can kind of identify with the idea of Draco Malfoy, especially where like you're surrounded by this thing that's bad, but what are you supposed to do? It's part of who you are. And it's not like it's not a perfect one to one metaphor, but um I think there is a I recognize a like struggle of queerness in the story of Draco, and while obviously that metaphor has its limitations, I feel like it's gonna be important to to explore because there's a reason that a lot of people really like Draco and a lot of lots of people have very strong feelings about Draco. He's one of the most, like, central characters in all of Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, Yeah. So we should definitely do some exploring into that. I feel so weird just, like, being on Draco's side. It's so... Yeah. (laughs) Just, like, against what, like, I've always felt with Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Like, I've just never connected with him. Um, I don't know. It's just strange. I feel like I should be like not seeing the points I'm saying, but then like 
I feel like they're valid points. Well, again, like, I don't, I don't think any of this means that what he did was right or that being prejudiced is okay. But right. as I get older, I start to, I, I want to be less just like angry when people do stuff that's wrong and try and know why they did it wrong because I I don't want to do it myself. I don't want to get caught up in that same cycle that Draco was in for anything. And when people are cool mm. to me, I would rather know what's going on underneath because just believing that somebody is doing it because they're evil isn't very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one of the things, um, I think one of the main reasons that it's like changing for me is that just being older mm-hmm. Um, Because I think being closer in age to these characters Mm. is easier to just see them as, like, that one kid at school you really, really hate. Um, Because you're reading from Harry's narrative. So Draco's just this, he's a bully, and he is just this kid that he's designed, the whole character is designed to dislike him. The intention is for you to dislike him. Um, so it's easy as a kid reading it to kind of compare them to a kid at school that you don't like or something like that. Um, and reading it as an adult, um, seeing a kid be like this, you look at the more intricate details of things. You look at the stuff like, um, his family and the, you know, racial (laughs) inequality Mm -hmm. stuff and, um, it's just it's a very different narrative yeah. than what um we were supposed to read into it. And what we're supposed to read into it was that he's just some punk kid. Mm-hmm. Um he's but he's not it's not like um people aren't that um simple in no. life. And I don't know that the the final moral lesson of somebody's childhood doesn't have to be that they failed. I think that uh, while I wish that Draco had done more by the end of it, I think that he even gets to a place where he doesn't, where he refuses to identify Harry in Deathly Hallows. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's not nothing. And I think that it is a huge act of rebellion when you look at where he's come from. Yeah. So. Oh, it could be Team Draco. Yeah, I, I guess so. Sorry, everyone. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, pass me. Yeah. Uh, uh, however, we will never be Team Snape. That will never change. It's never going to nope. change. Not even sorry about that no. one. <laughs> like, sometimes I might feel sorry for Snape, but still don't like him. Yeah, like, I feel sorry for him because he's such a piece of shit. Because <laughs> it must stink. Like, that must really suck to be that much of a fucking asshole. Right. Oh, poor him. He's got to look at his face in the mirror every day. Ugh. <laughs> a face of I, evil. <laughs> I could just sit here and complain about him. For, he's not even in this chapter yet, and I just want to complain about him. Into the, I feel like this whole episode was kind of into the pensive for me. That's very but. fair. Like, it, it was a... I feel like we were really immersed in the world, and that's that's kind of the reflection that I have. Is it's like I'm engaged in the text right now. Like I feel, I feel like I am uh, getting pulled in in the way that I used to when I would read any of the books. 
and it, it kind of took this long to really get into it and to be excited about reading the next chapter this way. Yeah, the the last chapter was great, and I think we started to get kind of into the fun stuff, but this chapter was, uh, like you said, it was really engaging, and you really like got to get into it a little bit more, um, which is just beyond because yeah. that's what you it want. It is! <laughs> it's, it's what I re- remember about the books, is it just being kind of like a like roller coaster through everything Mm -hmm. so to finally get into where we have a chapter where there's just so much going on it's um it's really nice to be back into it yeah (laughs) so if you want to get smashed and walloped and smushed then you should join us next week to discuss chapter five the whomping willow yes it's very aggressive (laughs) of me (laughs) Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. We are Beyond the Veil Pod. On Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. And you can also find us on Patreon if you so choose. Yes. We would love to see love you on to there. See you there. I can recommend like multiple podcasts that are a lot more serious. Than <laughs> <laughs> We're here to like talk about things that are serious and offer no real solutions and complain and you know. <laughs> What an advertisement. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're just here to trash talk ourselves. (laughs) Basically, yeah. And, like, I'm very excited to witness his descent into, like, (laughs) everything that happens. I just spilled candle wax on my finger. Oh. (laughs) Oh, Lord. That was really hot. It's okay. I'm okay. But damn. Oh, no. I think Nathan is running to see if I'm okay. Oh, no. Uh, just candle wax. I'm okay. Thank you. I got paper towels. Uh, yes, I have been rescued from my accident. And just try. <laughs> try. <laughs> uh, Great advice.